Welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast. Uh, on this week's episode, I have a self-declared newbie, although I'm, uh, I'm excited to talk to Lee and, and, and get into he's He and I have shared some things uh, uh, via email, so uh, I think he's got some good experience under his belt already. But uh, we're going to introduce Lee Evans from Delta Heritage Farms in Dadeville, Alabama. Welcome, Lee. Oh, well, thank you for having me, Troy. Glad to be with you this evening. I followed you a good bit on YouTube and really excited to, to be interviewed this evening. Oh, cool. All right. Well, excellent. Excellent. So uh, so what are things like in Alabama right now? Is it still hot down there? Uh, you know, it's been really, really hot up until the last couple of weeks. We've finally gotten a break. Uh, we went from being middle of July to finally being in October. Uh, I went from dead summer to having a little bit of sure enough fall weather. Uh, and it's really made life a lot easier for everybody here on the farm. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, we had some of that in West Virginia, too. It seemed like summer summer didn't uh, overstate its welcome and then <laughs> yeah. decided to bail out all at once. Yeah, it never did break, did it? It didn't break, and uh, when it did, it, it man, it's just been really nice the last few days. I mean, we've had temperatures down in the 50s in the mornings, and that's really nice here. Yeah, yeah, I do like the colder weather. Well, all right. Well, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about De- uh, Delta Heritage. Uh, let's try that again. Let's talk a little bit about Delta Heritage Farms here. So, um, uh, tell us a little bit about your setup, uh, about the farm in general. Well, uh, a few years ago, my wife and I made and a long story there, but we made the leap from living in Oklahoma to moving to Alabama uh, to be near to my children, uh, my biological children. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we moved this way, we uh, we decided to buy an old farm here. Uh, it was 100 acres. Uh, the house here was uh, it was not livable. I'll say that much. We really thought we were going to have to just bulldoze the home. Uh, but once we got here, we bought the place. We got here. Uh, we had bought a camper and decided we were going to live in the camper until we either built a home on the farm or we renovated. Um, but uh, we ended up renovating the old home. And after that, I looked around and realized I had a farm and that I needed to do something with it. Uh, And in the meantime, I had worked to clean. I had worked to build fences back up to repair fences. Uh, Like I said, this had been an old dairy farm. Uh, Needed lots of work. And uh, so I just went to work uh, repairing fences, repairing barns, doing those kind of things. And then uh, I got turned on to pastured pig by eating pastured pig yeah uh by eating pastured pork uh and i had been working hard at losing weight i had become uh a bit disabled over the last few years uh i was a nurse for 25 years and uh ended up having to ditch that career because i couldn't work uh in the trenches like i used to and uh in response to that i've tried to live more healthy and have tried to um uh, lose weight 
and get weight off of me so I can get around better. I've had some orthopedic problems, mm-hmm. I guess, so to explain that better. And and so in doing that, the pastured meat, the homegrown fruits and vegetables, the uh, unprocessed foods, period, became kind of central to our life. And uh, lost a good deal of weight, began to get around a whole lot better. Uh, and I decided I wanted to raise pigs. Right. And uh, so I, I searched for a while and finally found some Idaho pasture pigs. I bought Premier One netting, uh, electric netting fence, and uh, the story goes from there. Uh, I had brought a, bought a breeding pair, and two days after I got the breeding pair, the, the female, the sow farrowed, and I had eight piglets all of a sudden, and uh, it was kind of trial by fire. No, wait, okay, wait a minute. Let me interrupt you there. So you bought you bought a breeding pair, and the sow, or was it a gilt at the time, or was had it been proven? Uh, no, she had she had she had uh, been a proven sow. She okay. had delivered before. She had fared before. Was she fared two days after you brought her home. <laughs> yes, sir. Two <laughs> days after I brought her home. Uh, yeah, and... that, that doesn't give you much time to prepare, does it? <laughs> no, sir. No, sir. Um. Fortunately, we have raised dogs. We have raised uh, 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 hunt test and field trial retrievers and done a little bit of breeding with them. And so we had a little bit of experience with uh, with breeding animals and, and whelping on, uh, the Labradors. So I kind of had to draw up on that and, uh, and just go with it yeah. uh, and protect them. I mean, it's uh, one animal is about the same as another, I guess. You, know, you got to protect and contain. Uh, and that's what I did. Yeah. I guess a baby and, Labrador uh, doesn't look that different from a baby pig. No. <laughs> and they they act a lot alike in the early days. They really do. Uh, and the farrowing process and a, a, a dog whelping is very similar, that's for sure. Uh, but we were able to pull our experiences together uh, and uh, have a pretty successful situation. Those pigs are now uh, eight months old. They're around 250 pounds uh, in that range. I'm hoping that they'll step across the scales in nine months, you know, at their nine-month mark at around 300 pounds. Oh, okay. And that's pretty good for an Idaho pasture pig. Yeah. It's really good, I believe. Yeah. So I, you, I think I, I interrupted you a little bit there, but you said you had eight in that first litter? I had eight, and I'm down uh, two of them. Uh, I ended up losing two of them. Okay. And I'm down to six now, right. Okay. Do you lose them there in that first couple of weeks through crushing or just runt? Or? What I, I lost one, I, like I said, I've got the dogs around here. Uh, and the female pharaoh, the first one, had the first piglet. She had pushed a board loose when she nested in my barn there. Like I said, I had put her in She started showing signs of pharaohing. And I didn't know anything about pasture pharaohing at the time. I didn't know anything about any farrowing at the time. I just knew I needed to contain and protect those piglets as they came. And so I put them in our horse barn in a stall and that I thought was fully enclosed. And she somehow found a weak board while she was nesting, pushed it away from the bottom of the barn and had the first two piglets actually shot them out from under the barn to the the outside wall to the outside of the barn where the dogs could get to them that were around. Um, and I lost one 
before I realized she was even Fairway. Yeah, yeah. And it was pretty sad, yeah. Um, and she had another one while I was standing right there, and I was able to get her moved, uh, thankfully. And uh, <laughs> trial by fire, I hadn't thought about those days for a minute. Oh, wow. Yeah, getting her moved. That Getting her moved in that moment was quite something. She did not want to be moved. Yeah. And her tail end was literally aimed outside the barn. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's part of it, man. I tell you, like yeah. you say, you just, you just jump right in and do the best you can and, and yeah. work with what you got. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we were able to get the holes <laughs> shored up and have the rest of the piglets. Uh, it was a busy morning, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, but since then, it's really been a gratifying situation. Uh, this breeding pair, they've been wonderful pigs to work with. The Idaho pasture pigs are a really laid back pig. Um, and, and they're just been a, for a newbie, they're a really good pig to have. Yeah. Um, I don't have trouble with them challenging fences and getting out. I don't have trouble with them challenging me. Um, and like I said, I'm a little bit disabled. I walk with a cane and I, I don't need anything pushing me around, you know, and they, and they don't, they, they're a really good pig for me. That's yeah, for sure. That's good. That's good. Yeah. My, uh, haven't told this story yet on the podcast, but just here the couple of weeks ago, my uh, my six hundred pound sow who's <clears throat> who's bred right now, she put me on the ground, and uh, mm. and wasn't intentional. She just turned her head around, and so I'm walking past her with a full bucket of feed, and and thinking, okay, I'm my shin's going to hit her snout, and uh, you know it's going to be like two equal forces meeting, and she's going to bounce back. I'm going to bounce off a little bit there, but no, she didn't move, <laughs> and so, so I went I went right over top of her. <laughs> Solid as a rock. Oh man, and fell on knees, and of course fell in mud, which wasn't that big a deal, except there was a rock just uh, off to one side of my left knee. Of course. It, of course, yeah. So I've been I've been hobbling around myself all week. So, yeah, I have just begun uh, physical therapy. I was out here watering pigs several, I guess it's been three months ago now, and ended up just slipping around the water. I just slipped and uh, fell and injured my shoulder. Uh, terribly, hmm. and uh, had to have a little surgery. So, uh, oh my goodness. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know what you're talking about. Uh, this, uh, this pig business can be dangerous, That's I guess. Right. That's right, yeah. <laughs> so, Lee, Lee, did you have to travel far to get your um, your hogs, or did, or were they, would you have a local, mm. local breeder there? No, this, uh, I had been watching Craigslist. I, like I said, I'd eaten the pastured pork and decided I, I really would like to raise some of these pigs and I had read up on the different heritage breeds uh, and decided that's what I wanted and I narrowed it down to the red wattle and the, and the Idaho pasture pig and another couple and there's just not a whole lot of pig farmers around Alabama here so I was having a hard time finding any of those and out of nowhere i saw an ad for idaho pasture pig breeding pair here in alabama for sale and i just i snatched them up as soon as i found them pretty much uh there's just not a lot to choose from around here close to me that i know of anyway yeah yeah uh, i may be inundated with people saying oh no i'm right here you know now that you know i mention it but um, but I, I drove maybe three hours from here and picked them up and, uh, 
And since then, I've had several people calling me wanting feeders. Uh, I've had another litter since that first one. Had a litter of eight again and had one stillborn. I've got seven. Um, and that was an uh-oh litter, another newbie mistake. Yeah. Um, that's another story. But uh, anyway, that litter's doing well and got them coming up. Um, How old are they now? You they're say? about four months, I okay. believe, right now. About four months, really looking good. Um, I have, I had recently switched to a non-GMO feed that's been spectacular. Uh, I'm, I, I don't have much of a preference for that, but I know a lot of people feed those kinds of feeds, and I just thought I would give it a try. And I found one that was uh, reasonable, and it's been a really good feed for my pigs and i've been ever since these piglets haven't had anything since weaning but this feed and they just really look good uh, it utilizes some flax seed and sunflower oil uh, sunflower seed oil and uh, milo uh, and some non-corn and non-soy alternatives hmm. and uh, has just been a really good feed all right, and that's that's a local mill that, that you're getting that from, or um, it's Tucker Mills here, and they are here in Alabama, I do believe. Yes, sir. It's uh, out of Gunnersville, Alabama, actually. Okay, well, that's great. That's great that that you've got access to that. Uh, yeah, I buy it per ton and and get a decent price on it at my at a local feed store here, um, and have been really impressed with the feed. I'm not one to push. Uh, push anything uh the, the diatomaceous earth is something that seems to be kind of uh questionable uh when it comes to its efficacy and i think it's a matter of understanding what it's useful for uh when it when it comes to examining its efficacy but in this feed i have found that it has reduced i i believe the diatomaceous earth in this feed has reduced the fly population on my farm really yes <laughs> Yeah, like that's, that's... before, like before I fed it, I had flies horribly, and since I've been feeding this, nothing else has changed. But the feed and my fly population around here has been reduced drastically. So, how are you making the connection? There is that I... is that post pig when when the flies I'm... are laying the larvae in the in the in the pig manure. I've, that's the conclusion I'm coming to that somehow it's not being digested. The diatomaceous earth comes out on the other end undigested maybe and it's having an effect on this on the fly population hmm. interesting and i you know i can't i can't back that up with science i wish i could but i know anecdotally hear what i'm seeing yeah. and uh that's and i hate a fly and it's been such a nice thing to, to have three flies in the house a day versus a hundred because <laughs> my pig pasture is really close to my house. Gotcha. And, and I'm, I'm right OCD about chasing them down. Oh, so it's been nice to have the population diminished. Yeah, no doubt. Well, that, that's, there there's, could be something there. We'll have to, we have to put some actual research into that and see, maybe you'll have to do a control group there. Do, uh, do one pig with, no one pig without in different pastures. No doubt. There you go. No doubt. So let's talk a little bit about your pasture setup. You'd said it's close to the house there. Do you have a rotational setup yet with that old dairy farm utilizing some existing fence, I assume? 
I am, and what I've done is gone around and put an electric fence around the perimeters of these existing pastures, and then I used a netting fence to kind of break things off from there. Uh, right now, I've got a main pasture that I put my feeders in, and I have got, um, was it 13, and then I have a few cooney coonies as well that I started off with, and I've got them out there with my feeders. I think altogether there's 17 pigs in this in this front pasture of about five acres and what i'm doing with them right now or what i'm working on doing is building a centralized location i run the water out to the center of the pasture and uh, done a small concrete pad around it uh, the water hydrant and i'm hoping within the next few days to build a small pole barn that'll serve as shelter and shade for the pigs and then from there, I'm going to put some gates on each side of that barn, and I will leave one gate open or remove that gate and put the polynet fencing from those corners to the perimeter of the pasture, to the edge of the pasture, mm. and kind of give them a piece of the pie at a time and do a rotational um around that center pivot there yeah so your your structure becomes like a hub of a wagon wheel and you're yeah, right, yeah. right right yeah nothing nothing revolutionary about that but that's what i'm working toward yeah, yeah. I, and it's ideas of course that i've heard from you and salatin and uh, carl blake whoever else that mm-hmm. i've uh i've spoken to about these or, or read about the setups um like i said it's not my idea by any means this is uh working off of you guys but anyway um, I think that's going to work really well for me in that pasture. I think it's going, it's going to be very beneficial. It's going to cut down a lot of work is what it's going to do. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're going to have some, obviously, wear in those areas, but uh, the fact that you're going to have your water centralized, a single structure, uh, right. definitely could see some benefit in that. So that's, that's going to be nice. That's the beauty of having uh, level land as well. You can play around with that a bit. Yeah, and it's not completely, uh, I mean, I've got some, we're talking about Appalachian foothills here, I guess, kind of. Um, it's kind of rolling right here where I am. Okay. But in this one pasture, it's good. It is a nice, as flat as it gets right here anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> at this one pasture is. So uh, it's that that's what makes it a little more uh, suitable, I guess, is that it is a little flatter. Yeah. It's certainly the flattest I've got. Uh, but we do have a pretty good uh, rolling terrain around here. It's it's lovely terrain. Gosh, it's beautiful here. Uh, it's some of the most beautiful country you'll ever see. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I do like that part of Alabama. Here in West Virginia, we call flatland anything you can drive a tractor oh, yeah. tractor on sideways and not tip over. That's still considered flat for us. <laughs> I bet. I bet. I, but see, I grew up in southeast Arkansas which is the delta, uh, you know, along the Mississippi River there, flatland, yeah. you know, all farm country. So, wow, this is really hilly to me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yep. Yep. Well, all right. Well, Lee, uh, it's my understanding you have a very interesting castration story that you shared with me. <laughs> you want to you want to go I have a number of them, actually. It's, it's, uh, uh, people are starting to wonder about me a little bit. But... Uh, my wife is a physician and I'm a nurse. And so we approach things you know, maybe a little <laughs> differently than some people. <laughs> and uh, when we, we castrated our first set of pigments, of course, you know, our, our knowledge is limited to what we have done, right? 
And so what we've done is very human uh, because we've been working with humans. And so we, we went about castrating these piglets in a very uh, – about as humane a fashion as any piglet has ever been castrated. And we videoed the last one because we had been warned to wear um, headphones or, you know, some kind of noise-canceling devices or earmuffs or something because it would be so loud. Yeah. But we had done the whole litter and not heard the first squeal. And uh, and it, it, I think it was largely because of the techniques we used. And basically, we we would we put these pigs on what's what we call a papoose board, and we cinched them down. Uh, we and that cinching just in itself kind of comforts them. And then you, we did a little lidocaine injection in their scrotum, and then did just a simple incision and removed both testicles from both from that one. Uh, opening left just a small small opening in these pigs so they didn't have very much to heal uh, I mean super small opening and they never had to pitch or whine or squeal or struggle the first bit and I thought that was pretty interesting we had pulled it off so quietly yeah and so absolutely. I wanted the gentleman that I bought the pigs from the the breeding pair I had been consulting with him about what to do next. Like I said, I was a newbie, and, and, you know, very newbie, and consulting with him what to do next, and he had been kind of guiding me. And uh, I wanted him to see how quiet this procedure went, so I videoed the last one, and I tried to text him the video. It wouldn't go. So I decided just to upload it on YouTube and tell him to look for it. And that video now has like 160,000 views. <laughs> <laughs> I had no intentions of anybody else watching that video. Right. But that one guy and it ended up getting that video, that many views. Now I've gotten a lot of criticism uh, because I was a newbie and it shows very much on the video. Uh, but since then, we had a cooney bore that we were given and we wanted to uh, castrate him. And we kept putting it off and putting it off, and he didn't get any smaller or less aggressive. So <laughs> right. we decided when we got, had to, we had to do this. If we were ever going to process him and ever going to make use of him, we were going to have to do something. And we decided. I had watched your video that you did recently. I think it was a pretty recent video where you had mm -hmm. given a sale a few beer yeah absolutely and and then i had heard a few other people talk about doing that mm -hmm. and so we we uh got the little cooney boy out and mixed some beer and some molasses with his feet and he went after it he didn't have any problem going after it yeah, and after after about six beer um he became amiable enough to allow us to manipulate him a little bit and he of course was lying down and being the nurse and physician that we are we had cleaned the place off you know and everything and uh had him laid out everything scrubbed up and uh we again went for the lidocaine uh local anesthesia in the scrotum and um i tried to get as much as of of the areas i could including some of the structures that you're going to cut you know twist and cut mm -hmm. as you go in there i was trying to get to some of those as well and numb them up um and then we finally just uh, my 
son held the front end, my 12 year old held the front end, my wife held the back end and I cut. And uh, it was over with relatively quickly. We've got some video, it's not nearly as good as uh, my first video by any means. Uh, but uh, it went well, it went quickly. And I think anybody that's in that situation, I would encourage to, if they've got some experience, I would encourage to go ahead and go for it because <laughs> yeah. it's really it's not as difficult as one would think. Yeah, how many cc's? Uh, it's are really we, not. How many cc's of lidocaine are we talking about for a pig scrotum? Oh man, I you know I was pretty liberal with the guy. You yeah. know, I, I, I've had a vasectomy myself. <laughs> <laughs> you can sympathize. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I knew he wasn't going to have that frozen bag of peas, right? right. So. Um, <laughs> I told you Absolutely. I'm a nurse now. I know what that's to right. Do. You can't tell that's me, right. hey, hold this and yeah. sit and watch a couple of football games. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So you know, we were trying to be really, uh, we we're trying to be as gentle on the guy. And of course, the more he's numb, the easier it goes on us, right? And the less he thrashes about, and the the more, the more able I am to do what I need to do effectively and cleanly. And that was the biggest part of it. And that's the biggest part of doing any of the overkill that we've done is it allows you to do it so cleanly. You know, there's no poop. There's no, you know, carrying on when they don't have to struggle and they don't feel that pain. Yeah. Um, and it's not about being hippie, humane, or anything like that. It's surely been about the cleanliness and keeping my field clean when I'm doing my procedure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like, uh, it. I like it. That's and of course, it is nicer on them. I mean, there's that benefit. I mean, it's it's certainly nicer for the pig. Sure. You know, I believe. Uh, you know, and I have watched. I don't. I've had some chickens that have been injured, like moving a tractor, just had a leg injury or something. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed how if those chickens have to recover from an injury, how how their development is stunted. And I've thought about that in juxtaposition with the castrations. But if you do it in a less invasive manner, in a less traumatic manner, maybe you don't stun any growth. Maybe there's less of a chance to stunt growth. I may be full of it. I may, you know, but I wonder sometimes if maybe there's some uh, credence to that. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, very interesting. So, um, so did you when you castrated? Did you uh, close up, or did you just uh, you didn't do any stitches no, or sutures? Or you know, there's there's scrotums enough like any you know like uh, any other that it will draw you know right. and it, it'll pull itself together pretty good and and we gosh we tried to leave it as small as possible but they don't leave you much choice right. yeah. uh to to leave a pretty good cut but he did really well and all i did was was cleaning with chlorhexidine um didn't have any blue coat or anything like that i just depended on you know, doing the procedure clean, keeping him clean afterward, you know, letting him go and hoping that pulled together well. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you, in my experience, uh, with very little bleeding, too. That was what blew there me away. Go. Yeah. As we had, we twisted, I had watched a vet do some castrations on some horses we had, and I'd seen them do this twist. They had a, actually used a drill to twist those those cords and everything and all those vessels that come in that bundle yeah. twisted them up real tight and then they cut and evidently that twisting allows those tissues to kind of stick together and here and adhere similar to 
uh, as if you would clamp a vessel. Mm -hmm. When you do that clamping, you're not only clamping it shut, you're also crimping it closed, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that twisting, I think, is a similar situation where with with that, after you cut, you've, you've crimped some of that shut. Yeah. Uh, and we had minimal bleeding. I was really... Uh, that was the part I was worried about most because their their testicles are so large and so there's got to be a good blood supply there, you know. Uh, so that was that was our main concern and we didn't have anything to tie off with before we cut. So yeah. anyway, I don't know if we got lucky or we did well, but I'll take luck. Yeah, no, I, I think you're on the right track. I mean, <clears throat> my experience of castrating that yeah, if, if you did it right, then uh, blood loss is minimal. And I agree with you on the on the finishing. Uh, we we never, in our experience, we don't spray blue coat. We don't spray anything after the fact because it seems they that stinging or that sensation of whatever uh, medication you put on that, they go out and the first thing they do is drag the rear ends in the dirt and right. just pack that full. Right. So it gives a little bit more time. I mean, eventually they're going to get their rear ends dirty anyway, but it gives them a little more time to for that to just kind of seal up and, and not uh, have them forcing a bunch of dirt in it first thing. You know, when you talk about the lidocaine, it kind of brings that to thought again, that maybe if they're not feeling that pain for a few more hours, yeah, you know, maybe they'll leave it alone a little longer and let that scrotum close up good. Yeah. Um, there may be something to that, too. What um, is, what, and, and this is my ignorance, what is what is typical farm access to lidocaine? I mean, is that something that... Man, that, you know, that's, that's something that, you know, again... Uh, being in clinical practice that was of you know available to us sure. uh, pretty easily and I don't know how I don't know how quickly and how readily available it is to the everyday Joe uh, I'd like to say that you could run down and talk to your pharmacist and he'd be amiable and you know uh, let you have a vial but I don't know these yeah, days things exactly. are funny you know I, I don't know yeah, I've got a couple uh, dentist friends. I got a couple of pharmacists. I hate to start bootlegging lidocaine, but you never know. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, and you don't want to. Certainly, I don't want to do anything illegal, immoral, and ethical along those lines for sure. And that, you know, and thinking about that, you know, it's like, geez, I hope I haven't done. Uh, but um, that's typically something that um, I I know my pharmacist. I've mentioned it to him, and he said, "Oh, no problem. I can get you that." You know, yeah, right? Um, and um, again, I don't know if that's, I can get you that as long as you have a prescription mm -hmm. to give me or so that'd be something that, uh, uh, I, I couldn't speak to very well, to be honest with right. you. We'll put a disclaimer right now, everybody. If you listen to this, <laughs> yeah. Lee um, and I are not suggesting you bootleg lidocaine. You need to find no, a legal source no, to acquire your no. lidocaine if you're going that direction. Yeah, I know, obviously, anesthesia. Uh, let me, let me, I'm going to throw this in. This is just from uh, being on the inside a lot of times. Uh, drugs that are outdated that can't be used mm. in a pharmacy. So that may be an angle you could work. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Well, you know, sedation and castration are really a big issue and a big topic right now. I believe most of Europe is requiring everyone to anesthetize before they castrate so yeah that's something we may end up having to deal with sooner rather than later and i think i think some wow. of that's already showing up here in the states so uh, yeah you know, you, and now you talk about the lot of now is it different as you know 
talking about local anesthesia versus actual sedation. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Now, so they are they required sedation and anesthesia, like local anesthesia, maybe. Well, you know what I've seen, and particularly in Germany, I believe. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I believe, and, and again, I, I I need to get my facts together before I even state this, but it's my understanding there is a sedation requirement, um, more so than just a local. Yeah. Right. Right. That's interesting. Because uh, that's a whole new bird. Because well, sure. sedation, that would require a whole different level of pharmaceutical, uh, uh, you know, uh, that's something that you wouldn't, you certainly wouldn't want to be bootlegging right. with anything yeah. that had any mind-altering, you know, effect. Um, so that would, boy, that would really put us in a situation to have to use, you know, veterinarian exactly. assistance. And I, and, yeah. I, and I think that's the angle a lot is, yeah. is there's so, probably some uh, coercion, some, uh, some, uh, uh, side dealings going on here between uh, legislation veterinary services and those type right, of things in, right. in european countries but anyway that's a whole different podcast we'll say well we'll hope that. our politicians will take care of us along those lines yeah, and not we'll, let that happen yeah we'll, we'll hold our breath and see how that works out for <laughs> <Yeah>. you <laughs> No All right, doubt. Lee. Well, let's let's talk about uh, what what future uh, plans do you have uh, with your far uh, with your pig operation on the farm oh man you know I, I got into this as a hobby. Um, I didn't get into this to try to pursue a vocation so much uh, by any means. And But um, I'm finding that there's a demand. So I guess I'll follow the demand is the long and the short of it. Um, I'm, like I said, putting my first pigs to market in the next few weeks. I have three of them pre-sold. Uh, the other three, and I really have not pushed the pre-sale at all. It's just happened, and uh, I was in a position, kind of did a farmer's market booth over the summer where I sold some jellies and jams and fruits and vegetables and different things along those lines uh, and pushed my pork at the same time, my pork and my chicken, and uh, they've kind of sold themselves so far. Um, and I, like I said, I've got three uh, pre-sold and the other three what i'm planning on doing is doing retail cuts i've got a usda usda processor within 45 minutes from me hmm. i'm really fortunate i've heard you and others talk about how unfortunate you are in that respect yeah. uh not having a processor close by a lot of times um so i feel real lucky in that respect uh he's a good guy he's also a farmer uh, uh farms his own pasture pork and uh, chickens and he's right up the road uh, available and I'm going to do retail cuts and I store them myself I've got the capacity to store them myself and uh, I'm just going to start selling just like I did back during the summer with my fruits and vegetables yeah. um, uh, slinging on the corner uh, <laughs> there you go uh, I set up a booth on the corner back there in the summer, and I'll do it again now and see how that goes. Uh, I'm not, uh, like I said, this is more of a hobby than anything. It's something to give me something to do, keep me focused. So uh, getting out and hustling and selling is just uh, another part of that to keep me going, to keep me social, keep me moving along. Yeah, excellent. All right. Well, what uh, so far, looking back over this last year, what would you say has been your biggest challenge so far? Um, my biggest challenge with the pigs have been uh, figuring out containment. Uh, containment with them is not that difficult. 
but knowing the ins and outs of dealing with these electric fences and troubleshooting them um i think that's been my biggest headache uh is just containment and and keeping them in and that's not been that bad uh again i like i told you in my emails i have really enjoyed this (laughs) i've enjoyed it immensely and i love my pigs uh they have not been that difficult to manage uh i guess we the work i did beforehand in getting things prepared around here um before we ever had the animals uh paid off uh uh the i think the the next challenge i had was figuring out how to feed them economically Mm. um or what i thought was economical let's back up i'm really cheap dude (laughs) <laughs> I'm super cheap <laughs> and I was really trying to figure out how to feed these guys cheap 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 and I, what I figured out is that's um, it's not impossible I don't guess but uh, for me uh, trying to be cheap was costing my pigs uh, I, I was noticing they weren't growing like I, I wanted them to yeah and other people that I was keeping up with that were growing litters and what have you, their pigs were growing faster than mine. Yeah. And I started realizing I was being too cheap. And um, at that point, changed my feeding practices and what I was feeding, how I was feeding. And it was just, man, just newbie, such a newbie. Um, but I had to up my game where my feeding was concerned and have since done a lot of reading on uh what these pigs require as far as nutrition Um, and it has paid off in this feed i'm again i think i got lucky uh tripping across this feed but it's been a really good feed and my pigs look great i don't think i could ask for them to look any better yeah all right excellent well, in this past year, have you discovered anything that uh, that you say, wow, that that turned out a lot easier than I expected to be? Is anything that jumped out as a surprise to say that was uh, that was smoother sailing than you expected? Uh, farrowing on pasture. There you go. All right. Farrowing on pasture. Uh, and again, I, uh, genetics plays a role in that, such a role in that. And I think I've got good pigs for that. Uh, I think they. Um, and maybe not my individual pigs, but this breed in general is, is has been bred well for that. Maybe, uh, I, if not, I got lucky with the individuals because mm-hmm. man, she just made the most spectacular nest and was having babies. I had been watching her close. I knew she was close, and uh, I went down, and all of a sudden, she had built this Taj Mahal nest, and uh, she had the had the piglets like i said she had eight one stillborn and um, i went down checked on them several times weather was great plenty warm uh, she had the greatest nest ever i really wasn't that worried about them i was going to leave them on pasture and that evening a thunderstorm came up we've been having drought yeah. <laughs> first Wait, thunderstorm goes, right right you know, been hadn't rained in six weeks, and here this thunderstorm comes, and I kind of panicked a little bit and ran down there to save the piglets. And she had she had built them a shelter to go into. 
that was just amazing. And they were just as warm and dry. Wow. <laughs> uh, I ended up moving them because of my newbiness, I think. Uh, I wish I had trusted her more and watched how that went. Yeah. Um, but I, I got concerned about their ability to thermoregulate uh, if they got too wet. Yeah. You know, or, or stayed wet. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough decision because you really want to see, okay, how, how naturally can this pig take care of the situation right. or did I just make a massive mistake and kill everything? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, right. and man, that, and that in the in the moment, you, you err on the side of caution. Yeah. Or I did. I certainly did. Sure. Because, yeah. Well, but late... we went back to the barn with it. I kept her in the barn for like two days mm. uh, with the piglet, and she was doing so super. I thought, this is ridiculous. I I let her, I put her back out on her paddock and she's been fine ever since, you know, we've weaned and everything's gone fine. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, what advice would you give to somebody listening to this and say, man, I, I, I want to start out, but I'm just, I'm just too intimidated to do it or I'm not quite sure where to go. What, what's your advice? Uh, you know, I guess talk to others who are raising pigs first and plan uh, get your fences, your containment, all of that ready first. Um, I tend to fly by the seat of my pants, and it bites me in the tail more times than I care to discuss, Troy. No, and when it comes to buying an animal, I sometimes can buy an animal, and I don't have the containment or the structure for it, you know. And I, that's a childish way to approach things is long and the short of it. Um, I think one should be very prepared when it comes to dealing with these pigs uh, as far as their containment. Um, I think, and this is I, being from southeast Arkansas where the feral pig population is so bad, I think containment is a big deal. If we want our pasture pig industry to survive and not be too, not be criticized terribly, right. we're going to have to be really smart about our containment and not let a feral pig epidemic be worse than it already is you know yeah um well said yeah i I, and again that comes from somebody that's i've hunted in 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 areas that had this horrible feral pig problem you know that man seeing the damage they do to the farmers crops and everything and you know I, i certainly don't want want what i'm doing to become that and um i i just think preparation is is uh as a farmer's best friend uh being reactionary to livestock or to vegetable production doesn't matter what it is uh trying to be reactionary to things will put you behind yeah you've got to be proactive and uh very good very good well um I really appreciate you coming on, man. It was great some, you know, sharing some good stories there. Appreciate you taking the time to talk with us tonight. If people want to, if people want to learn more about uh, you and, and Delta Heritage Farms, uh, do you have anything online they can look at? I do have a Facebook page now. Like I said, this has been somewhat of a hobby for me, and uh, the, uh, I haven't gotten real serious about the technical aspects of it and building a web page. But I do have a little Facebook page if people want to follow. We're Delta Heritage Farms in Alabama. In Alabama, um, the Facebook page is simply Delta Heritage Farms. Um, drawing the name from my Delta home yeah. and all the changes in my life, 
uh, we drew upon that in mine and my wife's lives. We've got an interesting story. Uh, so the Delta sign means a lot to us in a lot of ways. And, uh, but that's, that's the name of the farms. We can be found on Facebook. I've got an Instagram page to Delta Farms, Alabama. Um, Right. And I guess that's it. Right. Well, excellent. <laughs> well, man, I appreciate it. I, uh, I'm i going to let you go and pray you have a good rest of the week and, and uh, just, just have a good time with those pigs. You bet, Troy. Thanks, and I appreciate you. Hey, no problem, man. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com. 